It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Another five-minute mystery. See if you can solve the case before the end of the program. Well, Alice, one more block and you'll behold the Brooks household. Two whole years, Jim. It just doesn't seem possible it's been so long. You and Dorothy married and with a place of your own? Ah, it's true, all right. Only too bad you haven't taken advantage of the old Brooks hospitality sooner. Well, I'm here now, and I intend on having a perfectly wonderful time. Now, here we are. Oh, what a charming place this is. Dorothy's probably on needles and pins waiting for me to get you here. Darling, it's Jim. Here's Alice. Jim, look! What? Where? There, on the living room floor. It's Dorothy, dead. Mr. Brooks, I'm afraid you and Miss Manning will have to submit to some routine questions. I'll be happy to help in any way I can, Inspector. Thank you, Miss Manning. Now, Mr. Brooks, while we're waiting for some information I phoned for, I want you to tell me exactly what happened this morning. Well, there's nothing much to tell. Both my wife and I were quite excited, expecting Alice, that is, Miss Brant- Miss Manning here, to visit us from Chicago. I was to wait until she called me at the office. And you were there all morning? Yes, until Miss Manning's train arrived and we came out here. I had written Mrs. Brooks to tell her that I would call Jim at the office as soon as I arrived. The train was an hour late. Maybe if I had been here earlier, it may have been prevented. Hmm, well, that remains to be seen. Apparently, Miss Brooks was sitting here in this chair putting red polish on her fingernails when she was shot from behind. The polish has spilled all over the carpet, and she was still holding the tiny brush in her hand. She must have recognized her attacker, and since she did not die instantly, she printed these three initials here on the floor with the polish. D-O-C. D-O-C? I wish we could tell whose initials she was trying to reveal. Yeah, sure? You don't know anyone whose name would fit that? Positive. I can't. Oh, oh... Yes, Miss Manning, can you think of somebody with those initials? Well, I, I, D-O-C spells Doc, and it's Mr. Brooks's nickname. Why, it can't be. Yes, Mr. Brooks. I haven't been called Doc in over two years. It was a nickname I picked up in school. My wife didn't like the name and never used it. No one in New York even knows me by Doc. I've, you've got to believe me, Inspector. It's the truth. Hmm. Well, that we'll see. Just a minute. Hello? Yes, Grady? Yes. I see. Well, it's sewed up anyway. Thanks. 
Well, you both will be happy to know our little murder is solved. Oh, then then it wasn't Doc after all? No, Miss Manning, it wasn't Doc. I'm arresting you, Miss Manning, for the murder of Dorothy Brooks. Why did the inspector arrest Miss Manning for the murder of Mrs. Brooks? In a moment, we'll hear. And now, back to our story. How dare you arrest me? I was still on the train. Your train wasn't late, Miss Manning. That phone call just verified the fact. You came out here, murdered Miss Brooks, returned to the station, and called Mr. Brooks to pick you up. That wasn't what really gave you away, though, Miss Manning. Too bad you didn't know Mr. Brooks was no longer called Doc when you printed those letters on the carpet. The next time you leave a name as a clue to throw suspicion, you'd better get the name right. But of course, there won't be a next time, will there, Miss Manning? Join us again next time for another chance to solve a five-minute mystery. This is the Tom Sumner program, and my guest this hour has a uh, novella that looks at um, that looks at the rising uh, occurrences of mass shootings, and um, it is called Day of Wrath. Um, he is a uh, history professor with. Uh, specializations in military history and history of technology named William Forstgen. And I think I'm saying that right, but uh, in any event, William, good morning and welcome to the show. Am I pronouncing your last name okay? Uh, yeah, you're just fine. Just call me Bill, okay? <laughs> That'll work. That'll that work. Will work. Um, but Bill, let me, let me ask, um, there's... There's an event that took place in Russia that the story in uh, in your novella Day of Wrath um, mm-hmm. is is said to uh, have been inspired by or um, drawn at least some inspiration from. How how did that come to your attention, and why don't more of us know about the Russian story? Uh, you know, I wish more people did know about it. It's called the Beslan Incident or the Beslan Scenario. It happened in September 2004. Chechen extremists uh, seized a school in the south of Russia. They proceeded to murder almost 200 children. It was a ghastly nightmare. 
And my fear is that something like that could happen here. We are wide open for terrorism. Our border is not secured. And uh, seizing the school, it would be the worst nightmare since 9-11. It might even exceed something like that. Well, and that's just it. Um, One of the things that I found interesting about the way you've approached this subject, Bill, is we were taken completely off guard by 9-11 with all the plotting and planning and scenario practicing. We hadn't really thought about planes just flying into buildings like kamikazes. You know, that's it's a very good point. I, I haven't looked at it that way. Yes, you're right. A few people did. For example, the security guard, uh, head of security at Goldman Sachs, who had thought about it, practiced for it, and contrary to orders, everybody was told to shelter in place. He evacuated the building. He saved hundreds of lives. He was killed in the process. The same thing now with schools. We we are used to the idea of the single teenage gunman going to serve. I argue that's still there, of course, that what happens if we have three or four professional terrorists seize a school? It would be a nightmare. Yeah, that, and that's my point. It's, it's something we wouldn't expect, and you actually create a scenario where multiple schools are attacked and, mm-hmm. and, and that it's a coordinated um, effort, much like uh, on September 11th, there exactly. were three different sites that, that were um, targeted for that day. It wasn't just simply, you know, a, a random uh, act of, of a suicide uh, pilot crashing into a building. Two planes crashed mm-hmm. into the World Trade Center, and there were... Uh, there was the one that went down in Pennsylvania that we're really not sure where that was headed. At least I I haven't become aware. It, it, it would have been either. Well, actually, remember, uh, a third plane did crash into the Pentagon. Right. Uh, it, uh, the other plane uh, series, are, it, most people realize it's either going to have been the Capitol building or the White House. Right. Right, but we've never really learned that definitively. Um, no, but but clearly there were three targets, and yeah. it um, in in your book. But but then you suggest a way we can defend against it, and um, I, I thought maybe we'd explore that a little bit if we if we don't delve too deep into spoiler alerts, Bill. Okay, no, no problem at all. Uh, I'd be very happy to have a spoiler on my book. I would like people to think about this, and that is that I think it is time that we armed teachers. And I had to emphasize right away: people are going to get hysterical about that comment. I'm not advocating all teachers. I'm not advocating even some. I'm advocating a select few. People with military training or uh, law enforcement, they volunteer. Nobody's forced to do this. They're vetted. They have psychological review. They pass that. They go into training, and they take a couple of weeks during the summer, 
summer for intensive training, and then they carry concealed. They become the unknown factor in the school. Nobody will know who they are, but they're there and ready if they're ever attacked. So essentially, they're uh, the the public school, or I guess all school version of uh, air marshals. Yeah, and you know, you get on a plane, and they're you've undoubtedly flown with an air marshal. Is a guy sitting there in a uniform, waving at you, wearing a big badge, saying "Air Marshal"? No, he's anonymous. And the same thing should be with uh, teachers who are armed. Any teacher that boasts that, oh, gee, I'm one of these people who's armed, fire him on the spot. That person's not stable. Uh, the beauty of an air marshal is nobody knows who it is and yeah. realize. Yeah, Bill, how would this, um, how would this improve on uh, things that have been done in some urban settings where um there have been actual police officers who were liaisons in schools uh, from the the local police department. Were they uniformed? Not always. Sometimes, okay. and sometimes not. Some, if not, then yes. Though the cost, we do have to look at cost here. The cost for putting a uniformed or ununiformed police officer full time into school gets rather steep. I'm not arguing that cost should be a significant factor when it comes to protecting our schools, but still, two or three teachers who are trained at a cost of maybe five to $10,000 is a heck of a lot cheaper than liaison officers in every school in our country. And often, uh, you know, the, the security people that are put there, the last two major cases, they failed completely. You know, they didn't stop the shooter. The shooter got past him. In one case, the person basically abandoned his post and went the other way. That was the Parkland scenario. And, and we saw uh, something like that in Texas recently. Yes. Texas bloody nightmare. And look at that. It took the police, they claim, about three to four minutes to get there. And then they sat and did nothing for an hour. Uh, the average response time is three to four or five minutes. A teacher already on site, he's instantly there. And to the shooter, he's unknown. He's just another teacher. I, I was appalled with an interview, tragic interview, with one of the teachers who was wounded in Parkland, I mean, in Texas. He listened to gunfire for 10 minutes. He then decided to follow procedure, which was <laughs> he, told his, he told his students to lay on the floor and pretend they were asleep. All 11 of those kids died. Suppose he had been trained, or the teacher in the classroom next to him had been trained. Never would have happened. More with history professor and author William Forschen straight ahead. 
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Say, objection. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with history professor and author William Forschen straight ahead. Well, the way law enforcement is supposed to respond to an active shooter scenario uh, was completely rewritten after Columbine. Right. But and it is follow? the And it is the intention of law enforcement not to negotiate, but to stop the shooter, to just take them out. If they can, Correct. If they can be arrested, great, but if not, shoot them and be done with it. Would that be the same policy with these uh, uh, school marshals? Yes, absolutely. For lack of a better word, I'm not, I'm not trying to name your idea, Bill. No. Uh, absolutely, yes. Uh, you have to engage immediately. Uh and, okay, I, I, I wrote in a novel once, um, Day of Wrath, Then in five minutes, a terrorist could kill 100 to 150 children, just popping open doors and spraying the room. That's a hell of a lot going wrong in five minutes. If somebody in the first 30 seconds can at least slow it down, that can make a big difference. And with the case of single shooters, if somebody could slow it down, it could make the significance difference. Well, and and most times it is a single shooter, but it would be very different if it were a coordinated attack like the one you suggest mm-hmm. in Day of Wrath. Yes, yeah. Uh, I've been involved in, you know, every year or two, I've been involved in some training scenarios. They were ridiculously bad, you know. Uh, People, even though it was announced at this one institution, people responded the wrong way, you know. Or uh, one case that was real, I was involved in an incident some years ago where three shots were fired at a school. You know what it was? With a police officer shooting a raccoon, <laughs> right? <laughs> he set off a panic. Of course, he did. And the school didn't announce it. And I was at the school that day, and everybody did the wrong thing. And I, I, I watched it. I was appalled. You know, for about two minutes, I thought it was a real shooter because I did smell the cordite. It happened right outside the door where I was standing. And guess what? The uh, mailroom clerk went to open the door to see what was going on. And I'm screaming at him. You know, lock the door. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> that's that's funny that, that you say that. We, we have an awful lot of um, gun-related crime in Flint, Michigan, where my show is, is based. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we make the top of the list occasionally, which is something yeah. I'm very proud of as you can imagine yeah, um, yeah. but I was living in in the inner city and I heard a bunch of uh, pops and noises and stuff it was getting close to the 4th of July so it wasn't that unusual 
and I walk over to this great big picture window and start looking to see who's doing firecrackers. And I thought about it a minute later, and I said, you know how easily that could have been gunfire, and I could have been, you know, hit by a stray bullet, and and I'm just standing (laughs) in front of the window trying to see what's going on. Um, Yep. And and you reminded me of that when you were talking about the the teacher that opened the door and wanted to see what was happening. Um, But something else you talk about in uh, Day of Wrath is um, you talk about highways. How are highways vulnerable to the kind of uh, attack that you are suggesting in this book? Well, uh, it's faded in memory, but you might remember the D.C. sniper of about 10 or 15 years. Yes, yes, I do, exactly. actually. It was a team. That was setting off a panic, an absolute panic. Uh, that could be part of a terrorist scenario. Uh, shut down a major highway going towards a school by just simply pulling over, shooting up two or three cars, and then driving away. It will gridlock the entire system. Because everybody behind it is going to stop. And within minutes, you have gridlock. Be worse than a major accident if this was done two or three times on a highway in a space of about 20 or 30 minutes. We are way more vulnerable to terrorism. Well, and if you did it in a city like Atlanta or L.A., you... well, they're gridlocked anyhow. Yeah, they'd be, they'd be tied up for weeks. Yes. Yes. Well, it's it's a uh, it's it's a scary thought. Is is it your hope that that through this book you can get people talking about your idea, your suggestion about uh, um, I'm I'm calling them school marshals because I don't know if they have a name yet. But... School marshal is a good term, you know. Uh, that might be the answer to put school marshals in, you know, on uniformed school marshals, a guy who just, maybe he's a part-time coach as well. Yeah, but he's, but that's, but, but you suggest as, as part of, uh, making it affordable that it be someone from the, uh, the faculty who has been properly trained either in their background or for this purpose so they could teach english you know all day and and then if something happens they're there and prepared you know i I, i've seen comments from people i know and respect who like i'm a teacher i never want to carry a gun that's plain wrong go ahead and live in your fantasy world but in any large school I wouldn't say my school. I I teach at a small college. But every day that I walk into my college and I see the signs right on the door, this is a gun-free zone, I'm going, yeah, great. That will really protect me. (laughs) Uh, That will really. Now, Ohio has passed a bill to start arming teachers. But, again, I'm not in favor of any teacher. I'm not even in favor of Well, if you, you just start I'm... handing out guns, it's like the oh it's God. like the Wild it West. Yes, it would be. And that's what some people say in response to my call. 
oh, we'll be the Wild West. Well, that's crazy. If you looked yeah. at at the CVs for uh, you know a, a faculty at any school, maybe maybe even a small college like yours, Bill, um, I think you're going to find people from the faculty that have some military background. You take an average school, you know, there's going to be they're not just faculty. It could be faculty, it could be administrators, it could be the janitor, you know? Right. Who's ex-military. Train him, use him, you know? Uh, in some ways, janitors know and secretaries know more about the school than about anybody. They know the kids, and that's another factor, knowing the kids. Because most of the kids who have been involved in incidents were loners, where they're marginalized out by the system, bullied, and then they take revenge. Well, and how much more quickly would someone like a teacher, a secretary, a janitor, an administrator... No, who's not. Yeah, no, who doesn't belong. And also would recognize this person in those opening seconds of, oh, my God, Jim... Uh, has gone off the end, and he has a gun. I've got to stop him. I did have an incident many years ago, early in my career, where I disarmed a student. And I thought about it a lot. Now, I want to emphasize, I did nothing heroic. I knew that kid well. I knew the problems behind him. And I knew he wouldn't hurt me. He was after somebody else. And I was able to stop him. And he gave the gun to me. And I, you know, from there we went straight to the psychiatric unit and he spent a year in deep psych. All right. We became good friends later. And he said I messed his plan up because he didn't want to hurt me. Well, precisely. Some of these incidents could happen because, uh, could be unraveled before they start because a teacher would know this kid is, you know, just, you know, crazy and that's yet another problem with our schools we have these factory schools with two three thousand kids and the kids that have problems often fall through the cracks bill i have a couple of questions that are a little bit off topic that i want to ask you number one you mentioned it as a small college where you're a faculty fellow and professor of history and i have been wrestling with how to pronounce that name is it montreat it's Montreal College. I got it right the first time, which is amazing, Bill, because I'm terrible with names and, and uh, oh, pronunciations. Oh, you know, I can't remember names to save my life. Yeah, it's a small college, 600 kids uh, near Asheville, North Carolina. I've been there for 30 years. It's a beautiful school. And because it's small, I know my kids. Right. Even, you know, the ones that I had to keep an extra eye on. And you also have interests in the Civil War, and this was interesting to me, archaeological research on sites in Mongolia. Yeah, what's yeah the, that was a great... What's the fascination well, with Mongolia, Bill? When I was six years old, uh, it was a really kind of hokey movie. It was made in Russia, and it played for the Saturday matinee, and the bad guys were the Mongols. And I was fascinated by them. And, 
you know, I went to the library the next day and I asked about it and they gave me a book on Mongolian, you know, the, the history of Genghis Khan. He's become sort of a hero. You know, I see it from the Mongolian side. So I've spent four summers working in Mongolia on archaeological sites there or just exploring the back country. Now, do you fly your plane there or? <laughs> oh, heck no. Uh, I have a little recon bird from World War II. No, I spend 18 hours on commercial jets eating my kneecaps because I'm six foot four. <laughs> oh no! Um, with your uh, with your plane, the recon bird. Um, do you fly in shows and stuff and and show it off? Uh, I used to. I don't fly as much anymore. I am seventy one, and you got to be very sharp to handle some of these older birds. So uh, I don't fly as frequently as I used to. And when I do, it's just a fly around the local area and have fun for a half hour. Right. Yeah, I would think it, it's probably kind of expensive to fly now. Uh, that's another reason I'm not flying as much <laughs> as I used to. <laughs> uh, good reason to to just look at the at the uh, at the plane and admire it uh, these days. Yeah. Um, but let's get back to to the book, and and I want to ask you: you've written a number of books. Um, and and you've had a couple of uh, best-selling series. Um, mm -hmm. The uh, let's see, which one comes to mind? One second after and Pillar to the Sky. Um, yeah. Where do you get the inspiration for books like like this one, this novella? Where did that come from? Was that were you just moved by? the stories you've seen play out on the six o'clock news and, and happen to know about this event in, uh, in Russia to sort of fashion this. After? Yeah. Uh, my inspiration for day of wrath was when ISIS started publicly executing people and cutting their heads off. And in one case I, I watched, the, a news report where they literally boasted about turning a river into blood by executing dozens of people. They're monsters. They, they are absolute monsters, and we have to be ready to fight the monsters at times. Now that we're, we're not in Afghanistan, uh, I'm not going to argue one way or the other for that, but uh, they're out there. They are out there. And our southern border is in chaos. It's so easy for these people to slip through. Well, defense of um, against terrorists. Um, the over the last couple or more decades, the the thought has been if if we if we go to Afghanistan, if we. Uh, go to Kuwait if we you know if we fight them over there they won't come here but that's becoming less and less reliable isn't it it is uh, so we problem. need to be thinking like you're thinking what do we do when these things happen well, let's use an example from World War II Hitler uh, the Nazis constructed over 2,000 miles of fortifications along the coast 
of France, uh, Denmark, all the way up to Norway. All you had to do was penetrate one point 50 miles wide in that 2,000-mile defense. The rest of it becomes useless. It's junk. That's always been the problem with defense, trying to figure out the point of attack while at the same time you're spending money on a lot of areas that will never be hit. So you need rapid reaction at the point of attack. In school, it's having somebody ready at the start. How have people been responding to the book? You you made it sound like a lot of people are uh, a little put off by the idea that you might use teachers as, we're calling them, I guess, school marshals. You know... I have over 1,800 reviews on Amazon now on that one book. The vast majority are just like, why aren't we doing this now? Um, the ones who go, oh, this is crazy, I, I, I do not like teachers' unions. <laughs> I don't trust them as far as I can And we'll get some of the types like that who are, oh, no, we got to spend more money on teachers. Well, go ahead, spend more money on teachers, but you might be spending money on dead teachers and dead kids as well. We have to think more aggressively. With, um, have you been able to share these thoughts or, or get any feedback from uh, people who are in a position to implement something like this, whether it be your local congressman or, or somebody from a school board? Yeah, surprisingly, uh, I've had more than a few. Uh, I think one of the ones that really hit me was uh, I finally get connected to one of the heads of uh, the state police for the state of Connecticut. He was in tears as we were talking. He was traumatized. He was one of the first ones in to the uh, school there in Connecticut, Sandy Hook. Mm. And he had to help disarm the bodies. They had to check the bodies and make sure there weren't IEDs on it. And he said, we don't tell our governor this, but we use your book as a training manual. Wow. And I've had plenty of local uh, law enforcement types come up to me and just say, yeah, we're doing this quietly. We're trying to be better prepared. Well, it's it's a fascinating idea. What's what's next for you, Bill? Is there another uh, book coming down the pike? Yeah, uh, in the uh, one second after series, uh, I'm doing the fourth book in that series now, and I also have well. Um, it's been a frustrating process of a uh, <laughs> production company has picked up one second after for television series. Uh, right now, we're trying to go through the distribution. Uh, we've been shot down by a couple who said, oh, we already have similar ideas. They don't. But I'm hoping that by this fall, we'll have a production company and then we can start making this thing for real as a television series. Well, that'll be fun. I'll be watching for that. <laughs> It'll be fun, all right. <laughs> It'd be really interesting to finally see it. Um, have when you're writing these 
books, these stories, like in this particular one, the um, uh, Bob Peterson character is uh, a little bit like you in some ways. Do you model characters in your books uh, around people uh, you know? I model them after people I know. Uh, me, the only parallel between myself and the main character in one second after is he's a history professor. Uh, I'm not ex-military. I'm not some sort of whatever. Some people say I am. But I modeled that after a very close friend who was an officer during World War II. Hmm. Um, well, Bill, I, we just about run out of time, and I appreciate you spending your time with me and the listeners. And uh, I, I encourage you to keep up the good work, but I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd care to share? You know, I don't. <laughs> because, you know, I used to manage one, and it just got too frustrating. So uh, just check out uh, Montreat College, M-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. Uh, the books are available on Amazon. Uh, there's something quite well there, One Second After or uh, Day of Wrath. You can get them right there. Well, Bill, and there's plenty of conversations going on about them. <laughs> okay, Bill. Thanks so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, and God bless America, and please keep us safe. Take care. That was uh, William Forschen, a Ph.D. from Purdue University, who teaches uh, history at uh, Montreat College. Um, he's a professor of history there, and he is the author of a new novella called Day of Wrath that addresses uh, active shooting scenarios in schools and perhaps what can be done to make them a little less deadly. And with that, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! 
from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The big thing I remember the most of, about uh, growing up as a child was kindergarten. Now, to me, the only thing, uh, uh, kindergarten, the only good thing about it is that it, it teaches you how to say goodbye to your parents without crying. That's all. After that, forget it. They got nothing else for you to do. I remember standing in that schoolyard with 27 snowsuits on and uh, my idiot mittens, you know. The idiot mittens are the ones with the string that go up your arm and around your neck. And the only cool thing about it is if you talk in the left hand, you can listen in the right. Hello, how'd you been? That's all right, fine. Find another kid with idiot mittens on, you run up, you pull his left mitten, and he smacks himself in the face with the right. <laughs> yeah, I used to love to do that, boy. And we all stood in that line crying. Oh, where are we going? We're going to die. You better get us killed in there, and the next day I was very cool. Goodbye, mother. Take care of yourself, won't you, dear? I should be home, oh, 12.30, quarter to one, somewhere around there. Might be late, I may have a little milk with the boys, you know what I mean? Tell dad I'll see him around dinner time. Now, once they get you inside, they're lost. They got nothing for you to do because you're only five and you're too dumb to care about anything else. They try, though, you know. One and one is two. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Right, yeah, cool, man. One and one is two. Yeah, right. What's a two? You don't care, man. So then, she takes... So then... Hey, they try these other things, basic things. No, no chairs in kindergarten. Everything's done on the floor. You sit on the floor, stand on the floor, you go home on the floor. Everything's in a circle on the floor so you can look at each other. Little ugly kids with pointed heads. <laughs> and you beat time to Mozart. Ta -dun -da -dun, boom, ta -dun -da -dun, boom. How long do we have to keep this up? I don't know. Go another 10 minutes, we'll beat her to death with these sticks, all right? <laughs> then she says, okay, children, it's time for a snack. Right! Now you're talking! Yeah, snack! I want a Hershey bar! Me too! Give me a baby room! Right! No such luck. She brought out a box and gave us each an old, dried-up, brown, nasty-tasting, gag-you, stick-in-the-throat graham cracker. <laughs> and you gotta pray for something to wash it down. Please, we're gonna die if you don't give us something soon. We got the hiccups and everything. Please! She said, certainly. Went over, got a case of milk that's been sitting on the radiator for about 80 years. Nothing in the world better for a bunch of five-year-old kids than good old lukewarm curdly milk. <laughs> yes, sir. We loved it. And the straws in kindergarten are the worst things in the world. Worst straws I've ever seen. They're good for one suck. You <laughs> and that's it. Flat as a piece of paper. You're sitting up there. <laughs> then to top it off, she says, okay, it's time for a nap. Yeah, there's nobody in the world anymore wide awake at 11 o'clock in the morning and a bunch of five-year-old kids. 23 kids on 23 cots sleeping wide awake. <laughs> Only one sleeping is the teacher. She's gone. Thank God for this break, boy. I'm telling you I graduated from that into the first grade. I always wanted to get into the first grade because you have your own desk in the first grade and that's just a part of being cool, man. Yeah, because I remember there was one guy that was just as old as the rest of us, and his name was Richard, man. Richard was cool because he had his own desk. 
they skip Richard because he could tie his own tie, you know. Yeah. They used to bring him up, bring him up before the assembly progress, and the president of the school would say, "I will right, we'll now have Richard tie his tie for you." Yeah, yes, yeah, go, Rich. Yeah, yeah. Rich was cool, man. We used to pass by the room, man, and peep in the first grade and see them all in there sitting at their desk. You can see Rich. We try to make Rich laugh. We make faces at him. Hey, Rich. <laughs> Rich scared to laugh because he get a beating, you know. Now I got my own desk. Ta-da! I love this desk. Of course, they all look alike, but I gotta find out how to find my own. Of course, I don't want anybody to know that I'm not cool finding my desk. And I sit down on my desk, look around. I know this is my desk because I sit in front of Crying Charlie. <laughs> crying Charlie's got the coolest cry in the world, man. You can't hardly hear him or nothing. He just opens up his mouth <laughs> and tears roll down his face and everything, man. I know this is it, because I sit in front of him. So every time I come in to the room, I just look for Crying Charlie, and I sit right in front of him. Of course, if Crying Charlie's absent, I don't know where I'm going to sit. You know. <laughs> Crying Charlie's absent, I go to his house and sit in front of him. You know. Yeah, got to fold my hands on top of the desk so the teacher will know what I'm doing. Got some initials on the top of the desk here. Somebody carved them all the way through to the floor. So when you write on your paper, you rip it. <laughs> Got an inkwell. Yeah, boy, they still don't trust us though. No ink in it. Afraid we'll drink it. And I would too, man. Ink is cool to drink, boy. Hey, drink ink about 325, go home with a blue tongue. <laughs> Used to make my mother faint. Ma, yeah, look. <laughs> my mother was cool, man. She would faint for anything, boy. I used to get hit in the head with a rock, cover up the blood, wait till I get right up on her. Ma, look. <laughs> Way to go, Ma. Cool, yeah. She got me back one day, though. I was playing with my navel. You know, oh, navel, navel. My mother said, all right, keep playing with your navel. Pretty soon you're gonna break it wide open. The air is gonna come right out of your body. You'll fly around the room backwards. For 30 seconds land, you'll be flat as a piece of paper. Nothing but your little eyes bugging out. Keep it up. I used to carry band-aids with me in case I'd have an accident. Gonna learn to uh, write in the first grade now. They give you this paper, grade triple Z. Grade triple Z paper with wood still in it. Big hunks of wood still floating around in it. You gotta write around the hunks of wood. And the lines are about eight feet apart. They don't want you to miss getting in between them lines, man. Don't want you to start crying. They give you these pencils as big as a horse's leg. And you rest them on your shoulder as you write. A, B, may I have another piece of paper, please? I will, I learned the correct procedure for going to the bathroom in the first grade. You just don't raise your hand and, you know, say, may I be excused? You have to let one finger go up. If you want to do one thing, you want to do anything else, you have to let it see two fingers. In case of a tie, two wins out over one. For the longest time, I told the truth. If I had to go, you one. And then one day it hit me. I was in the bathroom playing the soap dish game. Seven nothing, favor me. And it hit me, now what's she gotta know what I'm in here doing for? It's none of her business whether I'm one in it or two in it. That's why they put doors on the bathroom so nobody will know if you're one in it or two in it in here. 
And it's not bad enough that the teacher knows I'm one and that the whole class knows I'm one. You go back in the classroom, people say, how was it? One <laughs> So I just started lying after that. You know, hey, if I had to one, one, <laughs> they think I'm one of them. Then I felt guilty and I'd go back and tell the truth. You know that one? Yes, it was really a two. I just... She wrote it down in her book, Bill Cosby did two twos and three ones today. I got an A in bathroom going. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. I remember the night Mom was pounding on her drums. She called me to her side. She said, son, you're growing up. Pretty soon you're gonna drive. And Daddy heard the commotion and came, came in tap dancing, playing his six-string. And they both looked at me and they said, son, before you get behind the wheel of a car, you listen to me. If you're texting while you steer, don't drive. If you've been drinking beer, don't drive. If you're talking on the phone, don't drive. If your tires are bald and it's starting to snow, don't drive. If your foot can't reach the pedal, don't drive. If you're wearing no apparel, don't drive. If you took an illegal prescription, don't drive. If no one understands your diction, don't drive. Don't speed, don't read, don't breathe, don't tweet, don't shave, don't rave, don't wave, don't eat, and don't put no makeup on or shave. You know you're not supposed to do that. If you gotta do something you're not supposed to do You can go ahead and step on my blue suede shoes Ah, go ahead and scuff them up If you're driving with your knees Don't drive If while you roll you eat Don't drive If you don't know how to drive Don't drive If you've been psychedelicized Don't drive If you're kissing on your boo Kissing on you. Don't drive. If you've been drinking at a bar. Don't drive. If there's guns in the car. Don't drive. Don't groom, don't shave, don't tweeze, don't nurse, don't voice these things in your ears or rummage through your purse. Ugh. Don't do that. Huh. If you won't do something you're not supposed to do, you can go ahead and tug on my food man chew. Go ahead, I don't care. Watch me tear. If you feel like a nap. Don't drive. If there's a pooch on your lap. Oh, it's dangerous and creepy. If you're feeling really wired. If your license is expired. Don't you drive around the town. Something you're not supposed to do You can go ahead and step on my bluesway shoes Scuff them up Then go ahead and pull on my Fu Manchu yeah. If you want to do something You want to do something that's good If you're feeling like any of that stuff Don't drive!
make sure you got a clear head. Ow! Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.